You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. And welcome, listeners, to the 501st Renegade Economist Show, broadcasting for the first time from our new 30-acre farm in Drummond, north of Kyneton, about an hour and a quarter uh, north-northwest of Melbourne. So uh, we're pinching ourselves. We've got our dream home, stone-built, artisan-type, six-bedroom place, absolutely massive heaps of land and as you've heard on past shows i am hoping and praying that i can put this good opportunity to work and create a community land trust up here where the rising value of location location goes back to the trust on behalf of the community to expand the base for affordable housing rather than those values going up and up and up and uh, the banks and uh, the first come, first serve, making all the money. That's not the way uh, our economic system was designed, and I look forward to uh, discussing that some more. You're probably going to hear some chooks uh, banging away on our shed from next door to my office, so uh, we'll get used to these things. But, uh, yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic to be uh, surrounded by nature, waking up with kookaburras, frogs everywhere, wild ducks on the property, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to getting the old alpacas uh, up and running. I uh, moved the beehive up here this week and uh, whew, that was quite a rush, taking uh, the foam away to let them out and running like crazy. Luckily, they didn't chase after me and sting me to high heavens but because I didn't have the bee suit on me. But that's what happens when you make uh, eight or nine trips up, bringing up all of our nursery gear alongside uh, years of family memorabilia that have been stored in our two sheds in Braybrook. So uh, thank you so much to all those people who helped us move. It was an incredible team effort. Uh, what was it? Six trips in a four-ton truck. So 24 tons or equivalent of space worth of stuff. All vital stuff, of course, though, as you know. So I wanted to uh, delve into today's show by doing a bit of a reading. Again, I'm going to set this up for a stinging critique. Oh my, oh my, wait for this, it's coming up. So I'm reading a portion of Henry George from Social Problems, uh, the chapter The First Great Reform. And he says, it's no mere fiscal reform that I propose. It is a conforming of the most important social adjustments to natural laws. To those who have never given thought to the matter, it may seem irreverently presumptuous to say that it is the evident intent of the creator that land value should be the subject of taxation, that rent should be utilized for the benefit of the entire community. Yet to whoever does think of it, to say this will appear no more presumptuous than to say that the Creator has intended men to walk on their feet and not on their hands. Man, any social relations is as much included in the creative scheme as man in his physical relations. 
just as certainly as the fish was intended to swim in the water and the bird to fly through the air and the monkeys to live in trees and moles to burrow underground, was man intended to live with his fellows. He is by nature a social animal, and the creative scheme must embrace the life and development of society as truly as it embraces the life and development of the individual. Our civilization cannot carry us beyond the domain of law. Railroads, telegraphs and labour-saving machinery are no more accidents than are flowers and trees. Man is driven by his instincts and needs to form society. Society, thus formed, has certain needs and functions for which revenue is required. These needs and functions increase with social development, requiring a larger and larger revenue. Now, experience and analogy, if not the instinctive perceptions of the human mind, teach us that there is a natural way of satisfying every natural want. And if human society is included in nature, as it surely is, this must apply to social wants as well as to the wants of the individual. And there must be a natural or right method of taxation as there is a natural or right method of walking. We know... Beyond peradventure. Now, listeners, peradventure means perhaps uncertainty or doubt as to whether something is the case. So, we know beyond peradventure that the natural or right way for a man to walk is on his feet and not on his hands. We know this of a surety because the feet are adapted to walking while the hands are not. Because in walking on the feet, all the other organs of the body are free to perform their proper functions. While in walking on the hands, they are not. Because a man can walk on his feet with ease, convenience and celerity, while no amount of training will enable him to walk on his hands save awkwardly, slowly and painfully. In the same way, we may know that the natural or right way of raising the revenues which are required by the needs of society is by the taxation of land values. The value of land is in its nature and relations adapted to the purposes of taxation, just as the feet in their nature and relations are adapted to the purposes of walking. The value of land only arises as in the integration of society, the need for some public or common revenue begins to be felt. It increases as the development of society goes on and as larger and larger revenues are therefore required. Taxation upon land values does not lessen the individual incentive to production and accumulation as do other methods of taxation. On the contrary, it leaves perfect freedom to productive forces and prevents restrictions upon production from arising. It does not foster monopolies and cause unjust inequalities in the distribution of wealth as do other taxes. On the contrary, it has the effect of breaking down monopoly and equalising the distribution of wealth. It can be collected with great certainty and economy than any other tax. It does not beget the evasion, corruption and dishonesty that flows from other taxes. In short, it conforms to every economic and moral requirement. What can be more in accordance with justice than the value of land, which is not created by individual effort, but arises from the existence and growth of society, should be taken by society for social needs? Mm. 
So there we have, listeners, uh, Henry George writing in 1883. So uh, you would have heard many of the similar problems we have today through that piece. And I, I just like the way he sums up some of these big issues so poetically. And so Lambert attacks really does act as a harmonizing mechanism for a society. And I like that he draws this important distinction between the individual and and social needs. And so much of the neoliberal agenda has been about uh, the individual, where so much of uh, current day economics believes that uh, what's good for the individual is good for society. But we see time and time again that uh, when... Uh, polluters are able to use the environment as a uh, waste dump. Uh, It's good for them, but bad for the rest of society. And similarly, something I wish more people would grasp, when someone buys some property in the path of development in particular, these giant land banks on the edge of the city, and uh, sits on it in the path of development, gets their rezoning, sits on it still for another five or ten years' time. The community builds around this vacant block and then at the peak of the cycle they sell without having lifted barely a finger other than to fill out a few hours' worth of paperwork and away they go. So it's just so frustrating when you see these rezoning uh, windfalls coming through time and time again. People are now having to pay $30 million for an old warehouse site in Arden, North Melbourne, just near our offices. And uh, you know that that $30 million should, probably three quarters of that, some $25 million should have gone to the government to fund uh, social services. But instead, we have a system where those who actually do work and employ people will be taxed for that $25 million. And the one percenter who bought and sold at the right time uh, gets to take away that $25 million with barely a cent paid if they have a decent uh, accountant on board. Okay, uh, I'm doing a little bit of reading today, but uh, let's get back into it. I'm just so buggered having moved. You know what it's like (laughs) moving. My body's still trembling. But still, this is important stuff. Back to HG. Man is more than an animal. And the more we consider the constitution of this world in which we find ourselves, the more clearly we see that its constitution is such as to develop more than animal life. If the purpose for which this world existed were merely to enable animal man to eat, drink and comfortably clothe and house himself for his little day, some such world as I have previously endeavoured to imagine would be best. But the purpose of this world, so far at least as man is concerned, is evidently the development of moral and intellectual even more than of animal powers. Whether we consider man himself or his relations to nature external to him, the substantial truth of that bold declaration of the Hebrew scriptures that man has been created in the image of God forces itself upon the mind. If all the material things needed by man could be produced equally well at all points on the earth's surface, it might seem more convenient for man the animal. But how would he have risen above the animal level? 
As we see in the history of social development, commerce has been and is the great civiliser and educator. The seemingly infinite diversities in the capacity of different parts of the Earth's surface lead to that exchange of production which is the most powerful agent in preventing isolation, in breaking down prejudice, in increasing knowledge and widening thought. These diversities of nature, which seemingly increase with our knowledge of nature's powers, like the diversities in the aptitudes of individuals and communities, which similarly increase with social development, call forth powers and give rise to pleasures which could never arise had man been placed like an ox in a boundless field of clover. And so when we consider the phenomenon of rent, it reveals to us one of those beautiful and beneficent adaptations in which more than in anything else, the human mind recognizes evidence of mind infinitely greater and catches glimpses of the master workman. This is ta-da, the law of rent. As individuals come together in communities and society grows, integrating more and more its individual members and making general interests and general conditions of more and more relative importance, there arises over and above the value which individuals can create for themselves, a value which is created by the community as a whole and which, attaching to land, becomes tangible, definite and capable of computation and appropriation. As society grows, so grows this value, which springs from and represents in tangible form what society as a whole contributes to production, as distinguished from what is contributed by individual exertion. By virtue of natural law in those aspects which it is the purpose of the science we call political economy to discover, as it is the purpose of the sciences which we call chemistry and astronomy to discover other aspects of natural law. All social advance necessarily contributes to the increase of this common value, to the growth of this common fund. And listeners, uh, as we packed up our uh, Braybrook abode, it was quite something to look around at the garden. And of course, we we sold to a developer who's going to put a couple of townhouses there. And uh, he didn't want any of our garden beds. We had some 13 different garden beds there. So we pulled most of that out, tried to give away our incredible soil to anyone who would take it. There's only so much I could lift onto the back of the truck. Looking at our nature strip as we were about to leave, I was like, God, that looks fantastic. Uh, this beautiful natural shrubbery, we'd replace the grass with all sorts of native grasses, uh, all sorts of cacti and pig face, uh, uh, all sorts of flowers of various types growing there. And uh, I just thought, gee, that's, that's about 10 years work there. What could you really do with land if you owned it with a community ethos in mind for hundreds of years? What sort of resources could you build to make life easier for people? And uh, quite often we head up to the Grampians to our buddy Mitch's place and uh, you go there for a few beers and camp and enjoy the scenery, but uh, you're not standing around talking about goddamn footy, are you? You're there uh, helping build something. Mitch got wiped out in the 2006-07 Grampians uh, bushfires there, as did uh, former Prosper President Robert McAlpine. But uh, Mitch is a, a handy man and uh, 
used to building uh, sets for uh, all sorts of uh, theatre type uh, arrangements. And uh, so, yeah, we've been up there and helped put in the footings for the sauna that's built. He's got a swinging bath as well that's heated up by a combustion stove uh, via the rainwater he captures. So, you know, just those sort of interesting things to make life within a community uh, more productive. Uh, why are we stuck in this short-term mantra so often? I just can't wait to uh, get those sort of uh, projects up and running here in Drummond. Welcome back to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And I think it's about time we we turned our attention to what is happening in our beloved state of Victoria. We have the Labor government run by Daniel Andrews in power. You know, supposedly the progressive front here in probably the most progressive state in Australia. And... Uh, I'm grasping at straws here, trying to find some genuine positives. And have a listen to this uh, list of uh, what's going on here and and just uh, uh, consider what sort of neoliberal agenda we live under. Firstly, there was a privatisation of the Port of Melbourne. That added some some gravy to last year's uh, Victorian state budget. And uh, the the sad thing about that was that uh, the government was already, you know, enjoying billions and billions of dollars of stamp duty, but they decided we need more money. Let's go and privatise the Port of Melbourne. So a couple of tricks came up before this that really uh, drove me <laughs> batty, and I have talked about it before, but I'll just go over it again. Uh, firstly, they decided that... Uh, the rents would be increased some incredible amount. It was like 300%, might have even been 700%, the increase in rents there, and that made the port more valuable. A little bit later on, I think there was a a, a contestation of the, the land valuation of the port, and uh, they decided that they were going to remove all... Uh, infrastructure relating to the port and uh, challenge that it should be valued at its 1880 type uh, level of valuation when it was swamps and marshes back then. So that uh, drastically reduced the land tax bill from the port. And whilst we uh, accept that uh, land should be taxed without improvements, the fact that this land had a license, a government-mandated license to be the only port of Melbourne, gives it unique properties for its valuation. But by undermining the the land value uh, to that site, basically removing uh, any of the core infrastructure to it, it really reduced the value of it. So both those little tricks made it more commercially viable so that the state could sell Uh, the port for more money than they should. This year's Victorian uh, budget, we had the bells and whistles surrounding the domestic violence program, uh, which cost some $2 billion, and that seemed to have been financed largely by the privatisation of the Victorian Land Titles Office. 
So, so much domestic violence is caused by financial pressures and with mortgages, even rents consuming 40-50% of many, many households' budgets, they're now making the, the access to land value data uh, in time, no doubt, uh, this will be etched away to increase and ramp up uh, in terms of the, the cost pressures there. And as uh, Mozan Kalani from Melbourne University recently said, uh, we had virtually the world's best performing land titles office between Victoria and New South Wales, both exceptional. Within 24 hours, you can get uh, property sales certificates or land title certificates forwarded on, and that's world's best practice. So how much better is it going to be under a privatised agenda? Let's see. Okay, next on our chopping block is uh, level crossings. And uh, it was good that we recently had the Auditor General's office come to uh, interview us over what they saw was uh, what our criticisms were of this level crossings program. And uh, when the Andrews uh, opposition was uh, trying to win government, they had a very uh, thoughtful uh, Transport 10,000 plan, which talked about uh, this no-losers form of value capture so that uh, where land was essentially created by removing a level crossing and building uh, a tunnel underground, and there was some commercial space above that, could be a commercial residential, there was going to be a a split there so that... uh, uh, those new title holders paid a percentage of their land value back to the government uh, to ensure that uh, the people kept some of these benefits. Well, of course, when they got to power, that never happened. Now, this one really fires me up. You heard me talk about it before, but the Melbourne Metro Loop, no one is really talking about this. But here's a government that was screaming from the rooftops when Matthew Guy from the Liberal Conservative Party rezoned Fisherman's Bend, leading to all sorts of multimillionaires overnight. Well, we've basically got the same thing happening with the Andrews government where the rezoning windfalls surrounding uh, Parkville near Melbourne University, uh, Arden, North Melbourne, and then down at Domain in South Yarra will be leading to similar levels of uh, uh, windfall gains millionaires. Windfall millionaires, is that what we call them, windfall millionaires? I don't know. Is there a better way to say that? Send me an email, renegades at earthsharing.org.au. Another one, uh, this one's going to get, you know, 3CR listeners, I know you're up in arms about this, but what about the public housing land sales bonanza? What sort of dirt is going on in the background there? Question mark. I need a fellow investigative journalist to help me uh, dig into that one. I just uh, wish I had more arms to look into that, but who knows what major developers are going to win. I heard from a friend, uh, a fellow Renegades listener, Paul, hope you don't mind me saying this, uh, talking about a friend of his who's in the development game, uh, talking about uh, all these various projects surrounding Melbourne and, and you know, the eyes that people have on uh, the Jollamont rail yards, uh, the Footscray Road rail yards, well, Fisherman's Bend, that's been and gone, 
uh, the Arden Project. There's a couple of others that are around some old CSIRO sites, but uh, these are on the the dartboard of the major developers, and they know that people just don't understand what Henry George was talking about anymore, that these are socially created windfall gains, technically known as economic rents, and we deserve them. You know, this is what should be funding government, not taxes on incomes. Just carnage. With the Westlink Tollway, with no cost-benefit analysis, uh, basically announced overnight what was going on there. We had uh, rate capping. You've heard me rant about this before. Well, (sighs) council rates keep going up and up and up, but no one is asking what's happened after 30 years of neoliberalism carving out the public sector where now it costs $2,000 to get one drain emptied in Maribyrnong, $600 IT call-outs for someone to fix a simple uh, printer network issue that uh, you know someone in-house could easily do. But no, we've got council rules. We can't do that. We've got to spend $600. You know, those sort of things are a big issue, and the rate capping is just another handout for uh, the big developers because they know the more rates are capped, the more land prices go up. Daniel Andrews, you should know better. Slap, slap, slap. Really, that's just no good. Uh, something positive? Well, the vacancy tax. You know our research uh, is globally accepted. You know that uh, we've been the main people talking about this, and it's led to this raft of vacancy taxes happening around Australia. Even the federal government announced a $5,000 a year vacancy tax for foreign investors. Well, why is it limited just to foreign investors? It's again another handout to the game of mates, insiders. Uh, On top of that, why did they limit it geographically to the inner and middle suburbs? Huh? Because that will channel those foreign investors out into uh, the sprawl where their game of mates uh, need new purchases going on. So... uh, Again and again, uh, the neoliberal agenda shows through. A lobbyocracy reigns supreme, and let's hope that Daniel Andrews can leave some sort of uh, positive legacy like an all-in land tax in order to replace stamp duty and foster decentralization. We could be saving something like $40-odd thousand uh, in purchasing costs and then probably two to four thousand dollars a year in mortgage interest costs at least by transitioning away from uh, stamp duty i've just paid uh, thirty five thousand uh, dollars to buy this property in terms of stamp duty and that has been added onto my mortgage and i'll be paying interest on that for the next 25 years i'm not doing 30 year mortgages we're going 25 if not less and of course uh, fostering decentralization living out here out in uh, north of Kyneton land values are lower so people would want to move to the countryside I must say it's lovely having the MBN so fast the downloads uh, I'll tell you more I've been here less than 24 hours all right my name's Carl Fitzgerald check out the show notes at earthsharing.org.au earthsharing.org.au and uh, also visit our uh, other website, our main website, prosper.org.au, because if we did share the earth, we could live prosperously. Thank you.